Amen. We're going to look at, for Lord willing, a few minutes. We're going to look at this title today, Pursuing God in a Desert Place. You ever been in a desert place? You ever been in a place in your life where you didn't maybe feel God's presence the way you really wanted to? You might be a little fearful. You might be going through some things. And maybe you don't feel... Let me tell you something. Let me say this on the outset because it's not really in the message here. But don't live your Christian life based on feeling. Let me, let me ask you. Some of y'all have been married a few years. Do you Every morning when you wake up, do you just feel as all bubbly in love as you did the week you got married? Some of you do. Now, some of you don't. Sometimes you wake up and you may roll over on the wrong side of the bed. And you may not feel just as all bubbly as you was. They may, they may snored and kept you up all night or something, and so you may not be as excited. Love is a decision. It is a life commitment that you make, and our feeling with God is not based on emotion. It's not based on something. If you don't feel God's presence all over you this morning, it doesn't mean God's failed you. It doesn't mean God's left you. It doesn't mean that there's something. No, no, no. It's those times that's where faith comes in. That's when we say, well, I know it's still there. I know he loves me because of what he's done, and I know that he's still there. So we sometimes have to feel after God. And we're going to see David in this scripture we're going to read this morning. He's feeling after God. He needs God. And if there's ever an hour we lived in, we need God. It's right now. It's in the hour that we leave, live in. And we're going to read that Psalm chapter. There's nine verses. We're going to look at all nine of them. If you'd stand for the reading of your word, the word this morning, Psalm 63 as we see there at the beginning, the heading on your Bible may say a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. And we'll talk about that. Verse 1 says, O God, Thou art my God. Early will I seek Thee. My soul thirsteth for Thee. My flesh longeth for Thee in a dry and thirsty land where no water is. To see Thy power and Thy glory so as I have seen Thee in the sanctuary. Because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. My soul shall be satisfied as with morrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. And when I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches, ah, oh, because thou hast been my help, therefore in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. My soul followeth hard after thee, thy right hand upholdeth thee, me. But those that seek my soul to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for the foxes. But the king, talking of himself, shall rejoice in God. Everyone that sweareth by him shall glory. But the mouth of them that speak lies shall be stopped. Amen. Hallelujah. Pursuing God in a desert place. Heavenly Father, we come before you this morning. And God, I pray that you put a desire for us to reach out and get a hold of you, Lord, because we need you more than ever before, God. Our relationship with you, Lord, is because of your Son. It's not on a feeling. It's not on an emotion. But God, we are steadfast on your rock, God. And Lord, we know that as we pursue you, we'll find you. And God, if we hunger after you, you're making yourself available. And God, that we will be able to get into your presence and see your glory. And God, that you'll move in such a way that this altar, God, couldn't contain what you're going to do. And we thank you for that. And we put our confidence and trust in you. And everyone says, in Jesus' name, amen. amen. Hallelujah. Amen. 
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It, it's, it's, it's easy to go through our day and just give God a little bitty slice. We, 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 we want to, we're Christians, and therefore we're supposed to do a few things as Christians. And uh, we need to pray maybe, and we made a commitment, and, and we need to go to church and so forth. But we give God little slices out of our day, but does God have our whole day? Is God, what, is God the desire and the, and the most important thing in our life? You know what? This is something that I see, and, and I believe this is really a problem in America. Most people are satisfied just being on the outside looking in. Many people today in, the, in, in, in churches today, they just want to come and hear about God. They want to come maybe talk about God. But when it comes to getting a real relationship to where God is everything to them, they're not, they're, they're not worried about that. They're satisfied on the outside looking. And because they, we've not tapped in to what God can do and wants to do in our life, we've never experienced the fullness of His glory. We've never had Him break our hearts and melt us. We've never had Him do something incredible, filling us with the Holy Spirit, causing us just to get lost in His presence. When we don't experience that, we don't know what we're missing. We don't know what we're looking for. Let me tell you something. I, as I was praying this morning, I, I want to say this again, not in my notes. This morning, I, let me talk to you young people just for a second. Young people, and if you consider yourself young, uh, you can listen. In fact, this is good news for everybody, or good thing for everybody. I want to tell you something. Young people, there is a limited amount of time that you will be in the house of God. And then it won't be very long. You'll be making your own decisions. You'll be making your decisions of how you're going to live for God. Nobody will be telling you you need to go. No one will be encouraging you to go. I remember those times. I remember being younger. And there was times when I, I probably didn't feel like going. And mom and dad was there with no option, buddy. You get in the car. We're going. There ain't no question about it. But then there comes a time when you're going to make that decision. If it wasn't for the times that I got in the altar when I was a young person and got a hold of God, I'd be afraid where I'd be right now. And right now, the enemy will try to keep our young people with their minds on other things, and, and, and they'll miss out on getting in an altar where they really break, and tears are flowing down their face, and their heart is melted before God, and God touches their life, and they will not understand what God wants to do. And sometimes uh, we get something that's called religion, and that don't save nobody. Religion is when we just come and we just kind of put our time in and nothing's changed. We're still the same people. But no, God wants to transform our lives. So young people, I encourage you. I, I, I long to see the altars filled with young people seeking God, tears down their face, and change their life and say, God, here I am. I, want, I don't want to just talk about you. I want to know you with all my heart and soul and mind and strength. And then you can count on down the road. Even if, you get, even if the devil comes against you, I could never get away from what God did in that altar. And I, ha I had to get back to that because nothing was more real to me than what God did to me as a young person. So I encourage you. Now, some of you all are older. I encourage you the same way. If you are just coming and it's just God is just something, it's just you check a box, get in something deep because there's so much more. David knew that. That's what's going on here. David knew God was more than just something casual. In fact, when he wrote this, this is mostly, it says here, a psalm of David when he was in the wilderness of Judah. Do you know what he's gone through right before he writes this? Do you know when he, when he writes this song? This man's life is turned upside down. This man, for a long time, had been running from Saul who wanted to kill him. And he knew God's hand was up on him and he was running for his life and, and, and running into the wilderness. But finally, he finally got the throne and he became the king and Boy, I'm glad that's over with, he probably thought. And if it couldn't get worse, it did. Because even this, this circumstance he finds is here is his own son most likely is pursuing him for his own life. 
You know, it's one thing when somebody's your enemy is coming after you. But your own son is the one who wants to kill you. And not only that, some of his closest friends has betrayed him and now they're, they're advisors for his son. Your friends have turned on you. Some of your own people have turned on you. Your best friend and children. And, it, and so he is finding himself running from his life again in the wilderness. His heart's broken. Instead of us finding a picture of David out there crying and saying, God, look what's happening to me and what am I going to do and how are you let, what are we going to know? We see David knows the priority of his life is not anything else but getting a hold of his God. He's making him a priority. And that's what we see when he opens up here in this verse 1. When he, we see that we're going to see five things that you do when you're, when you're going through the desert and you're going through a dry place and you need something and you, you want to touch God. There's five things you're going to do. When you pursue God, one, you're going to seek him. You, let me tell you something. That's the reason the prayer service. Listen, if you're pursuing God, you'll be in prayer service. I mean, you, there's, I'm telling you, there, I mean, there could be something, something big time goes on. I'm just encouraging people. If you're hungry for God, pursue Him. Pursue Him because He says those that hunger and thirst after righteousness shall be what? Filled. Well, what was the prerequisite? Hunger and thirst. He feels. So it's based on our response to God. God's already got the answer. God's got what you're looking for, but he's looking at our heart. So we see here, the first thing, you're going to seek him. He starts out verse 1 here and says, Oh God, thou art my God. He's saying, God, listen, let me tell you something. Yeah, you've chosen me, but God, I desire you. You are, what is he saying? You're the priority of my life. You're number one. I choose you. I desire you. I want you. And how does he prove that? It goes on and says, Early will I seek thee. This, this word early here is dawn. It's dawn. It's saying to him that, Lord, and from the last thing you're going to see in the few verses down, down in the, the, the verses here, that he's meditating on him in the night. So he's saying here, the first thing I think of when the sun's coming up, when I wake up and open my eyes, it's you. We, we don't, we don't let the problem be the first thing you think of. It, it, don't let the thing that you're facing be the first thing. Because if you get to God, he takes care of everything else. We'd, all you got to do is get a hold of God. And so he's saying here, Oh, Lord, you're so important to me. Early at dawn will I seek thee. You don't want to miss an opportunity to get in his presence. You don't want to miss an opportunity to reach out and touch God. And he goes on with this talking about seeking him and pursuing him. It says, My soul thirsteth for thee. My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty land and it's talking about someone that they're they're going through this they're parched now this last week or so we've seen just the opposite we've had more water and we know what to do with but you remember times when the grass was getting pretty burned and you couldn't even mow your yard and it gets pretty dry and the, the rivers are coming down and you kind of get concerned and that's a pretty scary place that's even more concerning than what we just went through but David is, David is in the wilderness. He understands what he's talking about. He's in the, the wilderness in Scripture is the desert. He's in the desert. And the reason he hid in the desert a lot is because most of the time they would not pursue them that far. It was pretty hard for the army to come after him in there. And he knew how to hide pretty uh, successfully. He'd done it many times. But it was a place that he got to. So he's out there hiding. And he's in a place to where he, there is. He's probably thirsty. But his greatest desire is seeking God. It says, My flesh longeth for thee in a dry and thirsty place. That Hebrew word that's talking about thirsting and, and, and seeking after God here is actually said that he's weary is the word uh, ayif. And it means 
uh, 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 it means weary. That source ayif is weary. It's talking about a land where no water is. What's he saying? He's saying, God, I'm in a place to where I'm thirsty and I've got a drink or I'm going to die spiritually. But I, there is nothing here that could ever satisfy that. In other words, he's saying that God... The, war, the life that I'm living and the things around me can never satisfy me like you. Only you can supply what I'm looking for. And so we've got to realize that, that God is ready to pour out His presence and Spirit and saturate us, but there's got to be a longing. We can't come before God already filled up with everything else and expect Him just to pour out everything. But when God's people comes before Him and they're just hungry and we get in a prayer service and we say, God, you've got to pour out Your Spirit upon me. Lord, you've got to pour out Your presence upon me. Lord, I've got to touch You. Lord, we've got to see Your glory. We've got to see You move this altar, Lord. I was praying, Lord, we've got to see some souls in this altar. We've got to see God people crying out for You in the altar. And Lord, and when we get to that place, God is ready to pour out His Spirit. You can go back to that title slide. And it says, I was, I was reading about uh, a, a story of back in uh, the World War I, talking about uh, thirst, World War I. And there was a group of forces that was British, Australian, New Zealand soldiers that was pursuing and chased the Turks out. And they retreated into the desert. And they was retreating pretty fast, and these soldiers kept pursuing them, and they were pursuing them so fast. Back in World War I, they had water trains with camels. They had camels that was carrying all the water for all these soldiers, and these soldiers outran the water. So they, got, they kept chasing them into the desert further and further, and they couldn't let them keep getting away. So they were fighting them, trying to defeat them and keep them driven out. But they started getting thirsty. And they were way far away from the water. And they, their mouth got dry. In fact, their, their, their eyes got bloodshot and their tongue started to swell. And, and, and they started having uh, passing out. And then before it was over with, 200 of them had died for lack of water. But they were right upon this city that, the, that these, these uh, Turks had taken that had wells. They were wells. And they knew that they had, it was the wells of Shariah. And so these men were sitting here just barely hanging on, and they'd been a couple of days without water, still fighting and pursuing. And you can imagine, you go a few hours without water, you get pretty bad shake. Imagine a couple of days in the desert, chasing and fighting for your life. So these men were barely hanging on, and these Turks had taken some wells. And these men were trying, and so you can imagine the desperation they fought for because they knew they were hanging. They, there's no way to go back. They've got to fight for the life. And they fought and they fought. And finally they were victorious and drove the Turks and beat them and pushed them out of the wells. And so they get to the wells. Now there's thousands of men there. And so they, they did something that's got to have been the most the hardest thing they'd ever done. The men that were stronger, they commanded them to stand at attention 20 feet from the well. While those that were sick and those that were barely surviving drunk first. And they stood there for four hours at attention in the sun while they heard people guzzling water and they could hear that water just a few feet from them while they're no doubt they're sitting there thinking I think I'm going to die if I don't drink and finally it took four hours to get all the people watered and one of the men said that the, they believed they learned their first Bible lesson in this battle and that was if we would just hunger after God the way they were sitting there hungering after water how much he would feel us and overflow us. It's got to do with hunger and desire and thirst. So we need to see, we need to seek him. And it says, 
to see thy power and thy glory. So I have seen thee in the sanctuary. This Hebrew word here that seek is to seek with longing, to seek with a desire, not just with words. It's one thing to say, God, I seek thee. Lord, I desire thee. But God's looking at our hearts. God's looking at our hearts. He knows. Sometimes we may even think we are, but when God looks at us, he knows if we're longing him. But how many times are we sitting there with tears in our eyes and saying, God, I need you. i got to touch you. God, you've got to move. I'm longing for you. I have a passionate desire from you. Hallelujah. When you've been in God's presence and you've experienced it, this, what he's talking about here, David's not talking about something he's never experienced. David had gotten a hold of God some different, different times in his life, and he'd seen God's glory. And when you get in God's glory and you get in God's presence and you, God does something real in your life, and God overflows you to where it's like, man, I've, and you're just lost in His presence and He changes you and he, he just totally does something in your heart. You can't go back from that. You can't ever forget that. And so David was a man who pursued God his whole life, even before he was king. We see him in the, yeah. out in the wilderness with the sheep. And what's he doing? He's worshiping God with sheep. Yeah. Maybe another shepherd a long way over another hill heard him, but he's sitting there praising God and these sheep are making their noises and eating and doing everything else, but God's listening to the praises and worship. This man knew how to worship and, 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 and pursue God. And that's why when it come to the, when he became the king, he wanted that Ark of the Covenant back in. And he, he went to great lengths to get it back in. And, that went in. and when the Ark of the Covenant, which represented God's glory and presence, and he knew when they got that Ark inside that tent, and God's glory was going to come right down in that tent again. God's presence. That's where he was longing to be, in God's presence. And what did he do when he came into the city? He was dancing and shouting. And even his wife was looking at him with just disgust because he was embarrassing himself. He said, I'll do more than this. Why? Because God's glory, God's presence is back in the camp. He said in Psalms, talking about his desires, Psalms 27, 4 says, and this is David talking, one thing, number, what is he saying? Number one thing in my life. One thing have I desired of the Lord, and that will I seek after. What's he going to seek after? That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. He's talking about the glory and the presence of God. That's his number one desire. Is that ours? Is that what God wants to do? And we see that his son had the same desire when he became king and God's glory came down such a way over after the sacrifice and his honesty of his insufficiency that God's glory came down and they couldn't even do their duties in the temple because of the fact God's glory come down. Number two, when you pursue God, you will worship Him. You'll worship Him. If you really love God, you really want God in your life, you'll worship Him. You can tell what people love. They worship it. You got a hobby? They're getting doing it all the time. You're somebody that worships fishing, you're going to be on that lake a lot. If you like to hunt, you're going to be out there. If you're going to be, you care about somebody, you want to spend all the time you can with them. If we, are, we worship God, we're going to be lifting him up and talking about him and lifting his name. Verse 3 says, because thy loving kindness is better than life, my lips shall praise thee. He's saying, God, there's, there is not one relationship. There's not one thing that I've ever experienced in this world that ever compares to what I see in your love for me, your kindness and your mercy. Even when David was a sinner, even when David just turned his back on God and did things that he shouldn't have done, God showed mercy in that he corrected him, he drawed him back, and he forgave him. So he's saying, Lord, there's nothing. That ever compares to you, Lord, because of your faithfulness to me. 
Lord, my, I, I'm going to worship you. Verse 4 goes on and says, Thus will I bless thee while I live. I will lift up my hands in thy name. He's saying, listen, let me tell you something. Until this last breath comes out of me, Lord, there's one thing you can know. And, of course, Scripture says David was a man after God's own heart. You know what does he mean? He was a man who pursued God with all of his heart. And he was saying, Lord, every breath I got, just kind of kind of like uh, Job said, Lord, until you slay me, I'm still going to serve you. David's saying, Lord, every breath you give me. That, there's a song talking about the, you've given me the breath in my lungs. Amen. And so I'm going to praise you with it. And so we see that David was a worshiper because of what God had done for him. He spent his time lifting up, talking about praising God. What was his number one desire was to build that temple, to get it out of a tent. And so God let that happen through his son. Listen, talk, it says there at the end of that uh, verse 4, I will lift up my hands in thy name. It's, 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 a, it's a surrender. It's a worship. And it's almost you're reaching up, God. I'm looking. My help comes from you. When I read that, I, I think of a, uh, an incident. I've seen this a few times, but there was one so uh, marked in my mind several months ago. My granddaughter, uh, she's three now. She was still two at that time. Hadn't seen me in a few weeks. I hadn't seen her. I was looking forward to it. My wife was babysitting. She got there while I was still at work, and so I, I kind of come home a little bit early to get to see her. And when I got there, she was playing in the living room and doing some stuff. And as soon as she heard the door open, and uh, my wife said, well, who's that? And she said, she goes, <gasps> I heard her take a big deep breath. And when I come around the corner and she seen me, she let out a big scream. And some of y'all's got grandkids. Screamed like bloody murder. And it wasn't a scream like scared. It was excitement. It was, and it was like, wow, let me come in and do that three or four more times. Excitement. And then saying your name. Of course, she calls me pop, pop. Pop, 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 pop. And she comes around. And what is she doing? Her hands are up. Her hands are up. Pick me up. Pick me up. Pick me up. And then when I pick her up, what a lesson of, of, of how we should pursue God. When I pick her up, she hugged my neck so tight I thought she was going to break it. And then she let go a little bit, looked me in the face and hugged her again, let go, hugged me again. Let, it went on for about five. I was like this. Why, wow, there ain't nothing better than this. There ain't nothing better than this. Let me tell you something. What would God do if we came to him that way? When the altar opened up, a little squeal came out, and we ran to the altar, and we just hung on with all of our might, and we didn't let go until his glory poured. Let me tell you something. That's what he wants to do. That's what he wants us to do. Verse 5 says, My soul shall be satisfied with marrow and fatness, and my mouth shall praise thee with joyful lips. Listen, it's talking about an overflow here. The reason I've got some extra here around the waist is because I eat more calories than I need, right? And this is talking about, Lord, I get in your presence. And you don't just give me what I need. You give me overflow. You give me more than I am. And in fact, in fact, it's when they gave sacrifices, the, the morrow and the fatness of the sacrifice was to God. That wasn't theirs. That went to God. And it's like saying, God, I give it to you. And what do you do? You give it back to me. You bless me. And it says, and my mouth shall praise thee. So he's praising God for all he's done in the past. Not tomorrow. He knows what he's going to do tomorrow is going to be just like what he did yesterday. If you know God done something faithful for you yesterday, he'll do it again tomorrow. Number three, when we pursue God, we're going to meditate on him. We're going to think about him. Meditate is such a powerful thing. You know how to meditate. In fact, 
Many times we meditate on the wrong things. We meditate on the problem we're facing. We look at the problem we're facing. You look at the situation, and all of a sudden it'll, pay, it'll overwhelm you. You think about it. You don't have any way to fix it. You come down every angle you could think, and you just run out of options. And all of a sudden, every time you meditate on it, you're getting little and little, smaller and smaller, and, and the problem gets bigger and bigger. But what he's saying he's doing, he's, not, he's got a huge problem. There ain't a one of us that I know of in here. If you are, you need to talk to us after church. We can help you out. Nobody in here this morning that I know is pursu- being pursued for your life this morning. No one's having to hide and, and knowing today could be your last day. No, he's running for his life, but it says, oh, he's talking about meditating. It says, when I remember thee upon my bed and meditate on thee in the night watches. What's he talking about? And he goes on to the first part of verse 7. It says, because thou hast been my help. What is he saying? When I'm laying in the bed, the last thing I do at night is I sit there and I'm facing things, but I'm not thinking about the problem. I'm thinking about, well, Lord, let me, oh, let me think of all the wonderful times you've been faithful to me. Let me t- be think of all the times you were faithful to this other person. I heard his testimony. Let me tell you all the times you've been faithful to those in the Word of God and you showed yourself faithful and I'm meditating. My God's greater. My God is more powerful. My God knows where I am. My God is my ever-present help. And then all of a sudden, Instead of being weak, you go to bed and the last thing you do is God is magnified and God is big and God's able to take care of you. Meditate on Him. Think about Him. Let the Word of God... You ever read things in the Word of God and you don't fully understand them? And just meditate on them. Read them. Keep quoting them in your mind. And you'll find that there's times it's a wonderful thing. Man, it's exciting sometimes. You'll be meditating on a scripture and you thought you knew it inside and out, and all of a sudden you'll be walking down the road, and all of a sudden, boom, God puts something in your mind. You, you knew, it wasn't something you learned. It wasn't something you read. God give you an understanding, a revelation of something about that Word of God that's just like, whoo, that's powerful. That's good stuff. And God wants to do that. Amen? Oh, we can all meditate on big problems, but we need to also, most of the time, we need to be meditating on the problem solver and what He's done for you. I mean, he'll get bigger and bigger. Uh, we'll see that God is our refuge, Psalms 46.1. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. That verse 7 goes on and says, Therefore in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. Therefore in the shadow of thy wings will I rejoice. He's laying in the bed. How many can, tell, can testify to this? If you ever, isn't night time some of the worst times, whether you're sick whether you're going through a problem, whether you're worried about your family or anything else, night is the hardest time you're going through it. It seems like that's when the battle's the strongest and you're the weakest. And you're laying there in the darkness and things come creeping into your mind. And he's saying there as I meditate on you and I think of you and how wonderful you are in the shadow of your wings while I rejoice. You're getting a picture of God's arms wrapping around you. And when God's arms wrap around you in your problem, nothing can get to you unless it comes through Him. And that's where we as Christians live our life, that God has promised that He will overshadow us, that He will surround us with His glory in His presence. He doesn't send us out on our own and say, I hope for the best. No, He says, I go with you and I'm going to be around you. My presence is going to surround you and I'm going to be a very present help in your time of trouble. He will give him, he's given him, he's already done that. He gave himself for us. I've told you about that burnt clump after that big barn burns and they was looking at the damage and I don't know if it was the farmer or someone inspecting the, the damage 
in the, in the barnyard, and all of a sudden they got this big clump that looked like grass, and the guy's walking through with his boots, and he just decides to kick the big clump and a big burnt clump of grass, and when he does, all of a sudden a bunch of chicks start flying everywhere. And then he realized that wasn't a clump of grass, that was the mother hen. And every one of these chicks was just spotless. They didn't have any damage, they didn't have any burns on them. What happened? That wings of that mother sick. That little call was made, and them chicks come running in fear to the mother, and she wrapped her arms around, and she was like, let me tell you something, it can get to me, and it has to get through me to get to you, and she saved their life even by giving her own. That's what the, we see that happened with us. We, we can trust in God. We can put our confidence in God. I remember as a young man, I, I, I remember that uh, I could... Uh, I, Daddy never, that I know of, he didn't, hadn't wrecked us. I don't think he, he might have, he did, I forgot. I remember when I got in the, I don't know what it was, we got in the car going anywhere, I could just get in the car and just poof, out to sleep I'd go. Why was that? I trust the driver. <laughs> I trust the driver. Now, later, now my wife won't do that with me. She's afraid I'm going to go to sleep or something, so she won't do that. Now, I trust her more than she trusts me. So you got to trust the driver, right? Yes, well, we trust our driver. And David trusted him, and he's saying, oh, I trust you because, man, I'm, when the trouble comes, I'm under your wing. You've never failed me yet. Number four, when we pursue God, and when you pursue God, you will cling to him. You'll cling to him. The trouble comes, you cling to him. You have, a little, you have a child, and they're standing next to mom or dad, and somebody scary comes, and here comes a dog. What happens? They get a hold of mom or dad. They hug, they cling. Why? There's protection. They know they're in good shape. They hang on to mom or dad. There's protection. No matter what's coming, oh, you'll take care of me. They get a hold of you. We see that David is seeking after God. It says in verse 8, it says, My soul followeth hard after thee. Thy right hand upholdeth thee. That term that he used here, followeth hard, is not the only place that's in Scripture. In fact, we see that same word, that came from his great-grandmother. First time it's in Scripture, his great-grandmother Ruth used the same term when she said, when she was talking to her mother-in-law, and, and we see that her mother-in-law, uh, 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 Naomi, was telling uh, her sister-in-law and her, listen, our husbands, my husband's dead, your, your husbands are dead. I'm going to go back to the land where I'm from. You all go find somebody else to marry. And her sister-in-law, uh, Orpah, said, uh, yes, uh, 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 kissed her mother-in-law and left. But Ruth, it says that she used this word that said that she was going to, no, I'm not doing that. Where you go, I'll go. It says, I'm going to follow hard after you. She held on. Where you go, I'm going to go. Whoever your God is, is my God. Whoever your people is, is my people. No matter thick or thin, no matter what we face, I'm right there. I'm going to hang on with all my might. And so she used it. And that's why it's so easy for her great-grandson, David, to say, Lord, I follow hard after you. I pursue you with all my might and strength. We see that spirit. We see that same type of action with Elisha. See, Elisha's been following Elijah. And Elijah, the word's out that God's getting ready to come and take him. Well, he's been following him, and he's next in line. And so Elijah's making his little last trek around to all the schools of the prophets and saying his goodbyes, and they all hear the prophecy that he's getting ready to be taken up. Well, Elisha, and Elijah said, Now listen, if you've seen me before I leave, what do you, 
when I go, I said, what, what blessing do you want? He said, oh, let me tell you something. I already know what he's been thinking about this. I want a double portion of everything that God put on you. Now, that's a big thing. And I think he said it that way. Boy, that's a big thing. God done all kinds of miracles through Elijah. But he said, but either way, if you see me when I go, God will give it to you. And then he starts this crazy period of trying to get uh, Elisha to stay behind. No, you just stay here. Lee, stay here with these guys and let me just go on. I'm just going on down the road without you. No, 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 no. He kept doing that. No, 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 no. I'm not gonna, what was he doing? He said, no, I want God's blessing in my life. I'm not going to move. I'm gonna, when you go, I'm going to be hanging on. There ain't no way you're going to get out of my sight. I'm going to follow hard after you. And when God took Elijah, he was there. And did God do it? You count it up. You count up the number of miracles in Scripture that Elijah did, and exactly double you'll see what God did in Elisha's life. Why? He had a hunger for those things. He had a desire for those things. And finally today, when you pursue God, you can be confident in Him. The end result is going to be victory. When God is, we all know the victory, the ultimate victory is already won. We, are go, we win. We're going to stand in His presence, and the devil is going to be destroyed, and we win forever and ever in eternity in the presence of God, and those who have rejected Him will come to their destination in hell, but not us. It says in verse 9, But those that seek my soul to destroy it shall go into the lower parts of the earth. They shall fall by the sword. They shall be a portion for foxes. He's saying, listen, the enemy that comes against me, you know what? They forgot to check who my God is because I know that's not my outcome. They're not going to be successful. How many hundred or thousands of times has David seen people that pursued him with a lot more strength and power and wisdom than he had and God routed them every single time? He's saying, I know what my outcome's going to be. Even though at the very moment he's saying this, he's still in the battle. He's still running for his life. He's still doing it. But what is he saying? God, more than what I'm facing, I want to be in your presence. I want to see your glory. I want to see what you're doing. And so in the middle of that, he trusted him. And he says in verse 11, But the king shall rejoice. He's referring to himself. But the king no matter what I'm facing, shall rejoice in God. And everyone that sweareth by Him shall glory. Those that put their confidence in the Lord will never be ashamed. They will never be destroyed. God has us in His hands. And no matter what you face, He will take you through and the victory is yours. Because I'm not saying you'll never face a problem. I'm not saying things won't always will turn out exactly like. I'm saying that God will take you through them all. And ultimately you will be victorious. And even in our lives we will see miraculous things happen. Why? Because our confidence is in Him. Not ourselves. Not in someone else. But in God. David's in the middle of the greatest crisis of his life. His heart's broken. It, it, when you have family troubles... It's some of the worst things you ever go through. It's worse than church problems. It's worse than anything else. When your own family is torn apart, his heart was broken, yet he realized that his trust must come from the Lord. Are you pursuing God? Are you hungry for God? Are you going through a desert place? Sometimes you're going, you may say, I just, I just, it took everything I could to get up this morning. And when you called this morning and said to come 10 minutes early for prayer, it nearly killed me. 
And you, you know that, but it's, but you know what? We need to pursue him. <laughs> Do you realize how hard it is? I know, listen, I know where you're at. I've been in that pew a lot of times and uh, many years before I stood behind a pulpit and I know how hard it is. I do. But I also know what we're pursuing for. I know why it's so important. And if we make God, that's why it's so important. When we make God number one, we come and pursue Him with all of our heart, then we'll see God's glory. So when you pursue God, you're going to seek Him. When you pursue God, you're going to worship Him. When you pursue God, you're going to meditate on Him and His Word. When you pursue God, you're going to cling to Him. And when you pursue God, you can be confident the victory is already won. He can do that in your life. God, this morning, is looking for those that, like my granddaughter, I, I want to be that way. God, I want to be able to come to you with such a zeal, like David, that, Lord, it's just the excitement of my heart just to see you again, just to be in your presence. And that's what he was longing for, is just to get in God's glory and God's presence because he knew that when he got in those times in the presence and the altar of God and God's glory come into the temple, it was God made everything right. God just, oh God, when he left, he was a changed person. When he left, he was a totally transformed person, and that's what he was longing for. If we could learn that today, what you're facing, there's nothing you're going to figure out. There's nobody's going to give you a plan. The government's not going to fix it. What we've got to have in the hour we're in is people hungry for the presence of God. People that says, God, you are nothing else. You are nothing else will ever satisfy me. And let me tell you something. I'm closing with this. That's the reason that whenever I turn my back as, a young, as an older teenager on God, I could not get away from it because I knew it was real. I knew it was real because I'd experienced it as a young person. And I want you, I, I want us all, and you may be not a young person, but you may not have experienced the fullness of God's power. You may not experience God just melting your heart. But let me tell you something. God wants more than just a casual experience. God wants all. God wants everything. And when we give him all, just like David said, you give me the marrow and the fatness, Lord. You give me back more than I ever give you. You don't lose by giving God your all. God's calling us to a closer and more intense and more hunger and more desire. The question is, will we answer that call? Will you stand this morning? Will you stand this morning and bow your heads? Hallelujah. Almighty God, Lord, we come before you this morning. And God, we desire, first of all, God, we just come before you and be honest. God, we need a capacity to love you and desire you more. God, this is not something that we're talking about that we can work up. It's not something that we can develop and train. But God, it's going to take you and your spirit to give us the capacity. Lord, we got to desire you. God, first give us the desire to know you and to cling to you and to worship you. Give us the desire that doesn't come naturally within us. God, give us that desire to hunger for you. Then, God, these other things become easy to seek you and to, and to worship you and praise you and cling to you. All these things become easy when, God, you give us a desire. Give us the capacity. Lord, just like we can't get saved without your Spirit drawing us. God, we can't seek you and hunger for you without your Spirit giving us the capacity, the ability to do it. But God, whatever's in our hearts and minds that's keeping us from getting to that place, that God, that you would bring down strongholds, and God, that you would come against things that's keeping people from seeing the glory of your presence in this church, in their lives, in their families. God, the things that's keeping us away from you, God, bring them down. Bring everything down, God, that keeps us from getting to you and your glory. 
And that, God, that you would give us such a hunger that, God, we don't have to be drawled and primed and pulled and begged. But, God, that we would just leap into your presence and we would find times even before church to seek your face and your glory. And that, God, we'd come and you're so overstoked and overpowered with your glory and presence. God, that it just, just splashes out on everyone around us. God, that's what you offer and that's what you want to do, Lord. Your glory is more powerful than we're seeing. Your presence is more able to do more than we're even able to ask or think. And God, we can't think that what we've seen is all you have because it's not. We're limited because of our desires. And God, I pray, give us new desires, a new hunger, and that, God, your glory would fall in this place. God, that your spirit and presence would be so welcome here that, God, it's waiting when we come in. And, God, we feel it all the time we're here. And that, God, there would be tears that would fill these altars because of your glory and your presence, God. We need that more than anything, God. I don't want to go through another, just another a service without seeing your glory and your presence. God, there's people with needs that's even here today. There's people here with hurts that need you today. There's people here that need your glory that's been thinking, God, is there more? And the answer is yes. You want to give it. You're ready to give it. But God, we've got to be hungry for it. And God, start with your preacher all the way through the pew today. God, give us a capacity to desire you we've never experienced before. And then feel that hunger with your presence. God, let it start today. Let it start today. God, not status quo, not religion, not anything we've done in the past, not what we've seen mom or dad or grandma or grandpa, but God, a new thing. Lord, I'm more, we need a new spirit, God, outpouring today in this hour we live in that we've not seen before because we're facing an enemy we've never faced before. And God, that's what we've got to have in this church, in our families, and our nation. Do it, God. Do it, God. Do it, God.